Hello everybody. You messaged and now we're responding. Yes, it's our second ever listener mailbag special. You're listening to Vegan Talk with me, Anthony. And me, Julie. Welcome everyone. This is Vegan Talk and today we're answering your questions. Yes, every question we're featuring today has come to us from you out there listening. If you want to ask us a question or give us some feedback on the show or tell us anything at all really, our email address is enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. And that's in the show notes for each and every episode in case you forget. Absolutely. And it's it's really important to us, like one of the key tenets, one of the key central parts of this podcast as a, a project, if you want to get all artsy in your speak, is that it is a listener-led community. It's We try and be as democratic or give it give as many voices as we possibly can it's it's not just a couple of quote experts who do all the talking and everyone else has to listen there's no experts here fear not so we we want to give everyone as much opportunity for a voice as possible obviously that could mean co-hosting the show or it could be sending us in a question something like that if uh, if talking on air is not your jam so yeah we really really value these opportunities to hear what's on your mind right anthony let's get into the questions then this first one came from claire via instagram who asks i'd like to know you all better do you have a go-to favorite vegan meal Okay. So, I mean, my favourite meal, hands down, is pizza. I don't know if that's my favourite go-to vegan meal. I suppose it's quite easy. I'm interpreting the question. I'm probably overthinking it as like, what's a quick and easy like vegan meal that if if someone wants to eat vegan or wants to try plant-based eating or whatever, they'll go to. My favourite food is pizza. And I suppose it's quite easy to veganise. But I think I'm totally overthinking the question here. But like, if there's a food that I'm kind of like saying, if you want to try vegan food, try this. I just always go for like a, a vegetable or lentil based curry because I think it's the sort of the vegan version is so similar and is basically the same as a non-vegan version. Whereas I don't know someone who is maybe a bit fussier with their tastes or takes a bit longer to adjust to new flavors and things. If you gave them a a vegan pizza with vegan cheese on it or, or something like that. It, it might take a bit longer for their taste buds to adjust. So I've made this much harder for you, Julie, to answer because I've gone all meta on clearly the most straightforward of questions that Claire's asked. Help us out. What's your go-to favourite vegan meal? Well, I interpret that question a bit differently. And I was <laughs> about what would you rustle up for somebody else, you know, to introduce them to veganism. I wasn't thinking that at all. In my head, I was thinking, what's your go-to as in, you know, when you come in the door and you're really hungry, what is, what is the thing? <laughs> Because I go through little fashions and little phases of things that I just, you know, get a real kind of yearning to have. So at the moment, I am having a moment with. So this is how it goes for me at tea time at the, at the moment. We get the grains that I really like soaking the day before. And it's um, quinoa, sorghum amaranth and buckwheat in together and they are soaking for the day before then they are going in the rice cooker 
and not too many spices. They don't need too much, just a little bit maybe in there. In the steamer are the green things. They're going in there. And at the moment, I have got a real thing about green beans. So green beans are there. Sweetheart cabbage, I've got this thing about as well at the moment. <laughs> don't know what vitamins are in there, but I'm assumingly needing them, I think. Um, courgette is going in there. Fennel. I'm having a time of it with fennel right Love now. I really, really like it. So anything that's in my fridge that's green, really, is going in the steamer. As is walnuts, because I love cooked nuts and walnuts in particular just go a little bit softer or plumper and less kind of bitter if you steam them. So they there's a great big layer of walnuts on top of the steamed green vegetables as well. And then in a little pan beside all this, at the moment, again, it's my craze. I've just rediscovered them. I don't know why I wasn't having them before. Kidney beans in a lovely little passata with just a tiny wee bit, maybe organo or whatever. So that all takes about the same time to cook, really, if you start it all in proper order. And it does not take long. And then once it all comes out and it's on the plate, that's when I get some healthy oil over the top. It sounds a bit rank, but actually it's really nice over the vegetables just to make them a little glisteny and you get your omega-3, 6 and 9 going on. So that's that's how I'm rolling at the moment. That is outrageous. Is it? That's incredible. That's, (laughs) oh, what a meal. It does does not take long at all. I can rustle that up so, so quickly. And, And just, it's the walnuts. Oh my goodness. And the thing is, you can put them in the steamer if you forget to put them in the grain cookery thing. But if you, the best place is actually to put them in with the grains. But if you forget, just put them in with a vet. It doesn't matter where they go. They come out beautiful. Both ends of the plant-based spectrum there, I think, with our two, <laughs> two, two choices. I'll have a pizza with loads of cheese. Um, <laughs> now, How dare you call it cheese? I'm doing it sport. <laughs> I, I was saying it without an E on the end. It was clearly... <laughs> Yeah. It to, had a key in it or something. <laughs> to, to be fair, like be, because cow's cheese, uh, vegan cheese, can be quite expensive in our house, we tend to just sprinkle nutritional yeast on the top, and that that counts as the cheesiness for a pizza. That's as that's as far as we go. Yeah, when I make lazy slut pizza, which I do from time to time, it has nooch on the top of it. Absolutely, yeah. it's the way to yeah. go. Okay, next up, Laura asks, is there anything you've learnt about yourself from doing this podcast? Bit of introspection. Julie, what's the answer? Oh, oh don't ask me to do introspection. Um, <laughs> it has reaffirmed a couple of things for me that I think I knew already, but they are, they're unavoidable for me to face now. And I think the main thing is I am a writer, not a speaker. I cannot think of clever things to say on the spot. But having said that, being so far out of my comfort zone as I am, it just underlines to me that I am happy to be here. I am so far out of my comfort zone. I'm almost back in it again. Everything (laughs) about doing this is tricky for me. But my discomfort, my unease at being vulnerable about looking a bit daft or whatever or you know not worldly wise or up on all current affairs or anything like that it pales into massive 
insignificance, if that's not a kind of contradiction in terms, because getting the message about animals' rights out there matters to me so, so much that it just, any discomfort I'm experiencing just doesn't really come into it. So for me, this is a bit like those moments when I am sliding down an embankment, nearly falling in a river to trip a spring trap so it doesn't kill an animal and wondering who's looking and if I'm going to end up getting charged by the police or whatever. You know, this is the same thing. I'm happy to do whatever it takes for the message to get out there and for the world to be a safer, nicer place for its animals. Good answer. I enjoyed that. Thank you. (laughs) I think I've, possibly similar to yourself, I've kind of reaffirmed or or kind of confirmed suspicions about, you know, certain insecurities that I might have or sort of mood swings, I suppose. So throughout each week, I'll go through a bit of a roller coaster. My favourite part of the week is when the show has been finally produced and and edited and ready to ready to upload i'm feeling really good about things then then there's like an insecurity of like oh my goodness how many people are going to download it is anyone going to listen there'll be an excitement in the research part of the show um but also a time pressure and uh, oh gosh do i really need to be spending my time doing this now goodness you know what else could i be doing with my time recording it is always incredible but like I, I go on this roller coaster every single week it was the same when it was the same when I was running a business every week I'd go on this roller coaster of like oh are we gonna break even this week are we go oh what's the point is it too hard and it would all resolve fine but I'd put myself through this sort of mental anguish so so there's that kind of want to say something a bit more positive than that rather than this sort of weird <laughs> introspection um I do you know what uh, it's it's less about learning learning about myself but again relearning something that i experienced when when running a business and seeing all the variety of different people that came through the door that the number of people that we've had on the show different backgrounds been vegan different amounts of times approach it in a very different way like it's incredible like we're an incredible movement, whether or not we're aware of it or not, as a collective group of people who who identify as vegan and, and want to make the world, like you say, Julie, a better place for animals. Like we're incredibly diverse. We've got an incredible range of skills and experience. And that's really bloody good, isn't it? Because imagine if, you know, imagine if we'd spoken to 15, 20 people and it wasn't particularly inspiring and we thought, oh, everyone's the same, not got much to offer. Like that would be very uninspiring and depressing, but um, quite the opposite. So not not something I've learned about myself, but definitely a, a plus point for the for the vegan movement that's been reaffirmed through this this project. Gosh, I'm sounding arty today, aren't I? Okay, bit of a chunkier question here. This one is from Catherine who says, aside from vegan food, skincare and clothes are slowly progressing with more vegan options. Is there anything you feel is very obvious that needs more vegan options or is very behind? And she gives the example cleaning products and cars. I, I don't know how you feel about this, Julie. I guess we'll find out in a sec. But I, I, I think in a sense, 
the fact that we've lived our lives in a vegan way for a reasonable amount of time and and sort of started doing so at a time when it wasn't quote easy i mean it, it still arguably isn't easy but i think in terms of I don't feel a strong, oh my goodness, the vegan movement needs more products. We need we need better options, blah, blah, blah. Because personally, I feel like, well, I, I managed before you could get vegan cheese in supermarkets and vegan chocolate was horrible and blah, blah, blah. Like you can cope and you can manage and you can live a happy life and, and be doing your bit for animals without specific products designed for you. I mean, it, it obviously makes things easier, but like, are you feeling a bit of that with regards to this question or am I am I being rose-tinted about the past? And Well, in fairness, um, Catherine is talking about aside from the things that are already now easy, like vegan food and she mentioned skincare and clothes. So it's... Yeah, I guess, I guess my point is yeah. like, we don't necessarily need specific products some of the time i mean yeah it's difficult to uh, abstain from driving a car if in in certain geographical locations certain jobs certain lifestyles but like i I guess to use the food analogy if there isn't a for some reason the example i always used to give was rolos there there didn't used to be vegan rolos and so it was like well i'll just go without rolos then like that's Mm -hmm. fine and i i kind of feel like you can extrapolate that argument to to other things too i mean i'm perhaps not a great person to answer this question in that i don't use skincare or hair products or um yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say i don't use cleaning products i, <laughs> I probably should but <laughs> i don't know what what do, you, what do you think well i kind of i took the question a little bit differently so um, I've broadened out a little bit out of just consumer products and my answer to that in terms of vegan options I would like a tax system that was vegan friendly in that at the moment when I and when we all pay our pay as we earn tax we are subsidizing animal agriculture big time mm. and that really upsets me and when we're paying our council tax we are subsidizing slaughterhouses and services for slaughtering animals. And that upsets mm. me. There is no kind of special rate for vegans for the council tax. You can get a special rate for some other reasons when you're mm. not deemed to be using the whole kind of suite of services from the council, for instance. You know, you mm. can have some kind of reduction. But yeah, so I am against my will funding animal agriculture with tax and I hate that and the other thing where I feel there are not vegan options are within healthcare. that's a really difficult Mm. one there are few drugs that are not tested on animals so we can't pick up prescriptions from the doctor and you know get get the drugs from the chemist and all that without going against our beliefs really, because these drugs have all been tested on animals, which kind of brings me to the whole thing about medical research. There are some organisations that offer alternatives to animal testing, but, you know, it's it's fairly small scale compared to the really big drug companies. And likewise, if there are charities that you would like to support, it can be really tricky to support 
a charity who whose overall aims you might be interested in supporting, but then you find out that they fund research on animals. So yeah, still work to be done out there in the world, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you were talking now, I was, I was kind of thinking about like what is driving each of these changes that happens, whether it's a new product, service, like you were saying, like taxes and things like that. And I think because the the context that we're talking about in this country, if if not globally, is one of a, a capitalist system, actually money talks and if it's a if there is something where money can be made from something, then generally the the supply follows that demand doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So we are seeing more vegan products and services because there is more demand for them because people and businesses can make money from it. But something that doesn't necessarily follow that is sort of community spaces or things that things that are not designed necessarily to make money, but nonetheless provide value. And so my, my answer in terms of like, what, what would I be looking for ideally apart from things where I can't compromise at all so like I I currently do need to drive or I certainly perceive that I need to be able to so that would be great if there was freely available vegan cars back to what I was saying before that unnecessary segue having community spaces whatever they look like that are either specifically designed to be vegan friendly or just happen to be so that the area I've moved to I'm really lucky just like less than half a mile down the road there is a community space that's like a zero waste shop a cafe it's a charity they're they're supporting a lot of people with learning disabilities and and other people who want to volunteer to be to be part of the project and everything is vegan but but they're not setting up specifically as a vegan organization if that makes sense it's just part of what they offer and i think the more places that are like that, the the better, because it's, it's about sort of feeling connected and feeling part of something. And I went to a really lovely vegan Indian restaurant a couple nights ago, and it was great. And it's lovely to sit in a space like that, but that's kind of predicated on them making enough money as a capitalist business to keep going, which is fine. That's, that's the world and the system that we live in. But places that sort of are, I don't like the word vegan friendly, where it is used to mean we've got some vegan options. Because if you've only got vegan options, that means you've got a whole lot of yes. non-vegan yes. options. And to me, that's not particularly vegan friendly. No. If someone can sit next to me munching a bit of dead pig, mm-hmm. sipping on some cow secretions, mm-hmm. that's not particularly friendly towards me as a vegan. Mm-hmm. Whereas an all-inclusive space where the food is such that you know, it's suitable for everybody and it's a non-discriminatory place and it's, you know, I was going to say sex positive then. I don't mean (laughs) 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 inclusive of all, you know, sexualities and genders and things like that. That is something that should be on our social agenda as a culture, but it's not necessarily one that makes money. So it's not going to be something that's driven by a capitalist agenda it kind of needs to come, I think, from more campaigning and saying, look, this is something that's really important to us. Mm-hmm. So I'd go for that side of things rather than the, oh gosh, we could do with a bit more 
vegan skincare and things like that. Because I think, yeah, we could we'd all love to wave a magic wand and and kind of you know have the obstacles that we face in life removed. But generally speaking, in a capitalist system, like products and services tend to follow where the demand is. Yeah. And I'll say I'm delighted that you can now get vegan Rolos just, you know, on that subject. It's great. As you were talking about there about your lovely community centre, you reminded me of a little daydream I have. And that would be a sports centre that is, I don't know how you would, how you would check this when people came in or whatever. But I daydream sometimes about a vegan sports centre and you might think, well, why? How would that make a difference? I can tell you when I'm in particularly a spin fit class and it's busy and you're in close proximity to other people. Yes, yes, a vegan spin fit class at least would be really nice <laughs> yeah amen to that amen to that i'm funny about um, who i sweat with <laughs> something that i think is worth mentioning is the the real benefits we have certainly in this country of having the vegan society in that there is an organization there that is dedicated to amongst other things being able to answer questions helping people overcome obstacles i mean back in the day that's what you had to do you know you'd write to the vegan society and say help can you help me with this thing or whatever but like they're still there and they're still able to do that and it might be that we sort of foresee a problem that actually isn't there we might be saying oh gosh you know i i i can't find a vegan dot 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 whether you know examples we've had a skincare cars whatever it is or maybe we're not sure like is this window cleaning product vegan i i don't know it 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 looks like it might be but i'm not sure obviously we can ask these things on facebook and there's a there's other you know ways that we can answer these questions but the vegan society amongst other organizations there's lots of other organizations that can can do this sort of thing that have got this body of knowledge and experience but like they're out there and you can ask these things and actually it might be that what we need is not necessarily a new product but more resourcefulness as in sharing what we already have in the shape of knowledge or products or services and 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 getting that out there and just a kind of on a similar note labeling like the 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 fact that uh, common allergens have to be labeled in bold in this country I think is massive. I mean, the fact that you have to print ingredients at all. When we interviewed Margaret a couple months back, she was saying like when she first went vegan, you didn't even have to put ingredients on things. So there was, you forget ingredients scanning, like there was nothing to scan. So now not only do we have ingredients on things, but those common allergens of eggs and dairy do have to be in bold. Generally speaking, you can tell whether something's got meat in it though not not always so that's that's a big leap forward and I don't know I maybe it's not going to be too long before you know veganism is already a protected characteristic maybe it'll become the law that you have to say whether something is is vegan or not or the opposite that Richard put forward a a few months ago in an episode actually saying this contains animal products. So it's not that you say this is suitable for vegans, but the law is if something contains animal-derived ingredients, you have to state it. That would be my my preferred way of things. Okay. 
And our final question comes from Juan, who says, I'm a firm believer that in order for the world to head in a more vegan direction, we should be working with farmers rather than against them. It feels like often in conversation, many vegans will lump farmers as the bad guys in the same way that farmers need, seem to see vegans as the enemy. Do you have any ideas on how we could start working together instead? That's a really good question. I want to flip this back straight at you, Julie, because we had a conversation off air a few weeks ago where I feel like you were talking about this sort of thing. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think the first thing to remember is that you get different kinds of farmer and we literally cannot live without them because they're not all raising animals they are growing vegetables and growing crops and the stuff that we eat, that we all eat. So they are feeding us. So they are essential and we do need to be great pals with them and look after them. So that's the first thing to remember. And even the ones who are involved in animal agriculture at the moment are potential future allies in what we would like for the world. They have great skills and great resources and at the moment their industry is only surviving as we mentioned earlier because of a lot of government subsidies. So they're not in a secure industry at the moment and some people are already leaving that industry of their own accord as a result. Things like stock-free farming and farm-free foods are beginning to appear, which I think is really, really exciting. And it will be probably people who have been involved in traditional farming that are involved in the development of these things when they become um, more popular in the UK. So yeah, I think change comes from within sometimes not just from opposing things i like this little quote that um i think summarizes this it's from a gentleman called buckminster fuller you never change things by fighting the existing reality to change something build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete Nice. That's good. That's good, isn't it? Do you know what that, I mean, was that always a generalised statement that Buckminster has made there? Or do you know if it was in reference to something in particular? But he's some kind of, he's a systems theorist or something. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe it was a generalisation from, from, from the off. I just wondered if it originally sort of referred to cars or something he like that. He was an American it, it, architect, systems theorist, writer, designer, inventor, philosopher and futurist. I mean, it applies really well to, to the situation that we have with, with animal agriculture yeah. and, and, and looking to move away from it. I mean, as as you were saying that, I, I was thinking you're, you're absolutely right. Like, in a sense, whilst animal farmers are responding to a demand from the public to to farm these animals 
in terms of individuals with the biggest potential to affect change really they're up there aren't they Mm -hmm. in terms of like you know if, if you can positively influence one person to to make a change like one person going vegan yeah that's great that's wonderful fantastic well done but actually uh an animal farmer to use an evangelical phrase like to see the light and to have a change of heart and want to change things like arguably that's going to have a bigger difference so like Juan says like launching a volley of abuse at such people Mm. is is really not not a pragmatic thing to do in in that you know these are the people who who really we need ultimately on our side that said it it does take a big leap to quote forgive people who in in the eyes of of most vegans abuse animals and and I'm not I'm not saying that they need forgiveness or that they should be forgiven or anything like that but I I think it perhaps serves us well to acknowledge that that is the barrier that I think a lot of us face and in and in reverse like if you look at things from an animal farmer's point of view vegans are the people who are trying to systematically put them out of a job mm-hmm. you know if you just approach things from a superficial don't delve too much further down into the the information or thought process that's what's on the surface of of both sides if you want isn't it so just acknowledging that that barrier is there in the first place probably helps us overcome it I would have thought like we've got to we've got to mention the elephant in the room, haven't we? It's, yeah. You know, yeah. there's something that that you said to me, Julie, in terms of like people that you you are friends with mm-hmm. who are maybe directly or indirectly in, involved with animal agriculture, and the power of them seeing you as a person first and as Julie first, mm-hmm. rather than vegan yes. first. I I, yeah. I think that's really powerful because please don't get me wrong like I am proud to be vegan and live my life the way I do and I'm not ashamed of using that word however there's definitely been times in my life where vegan has been front and center of who I am you only have to look in my wardrobe Mm -hmm. to see evidence of that um and the shirts that insecurity bought for myself but actually that that can just put a barrier up sometimes, can't it? it in terms of guiding people's preconceptions of, of who you might be and actually yeah. relating to people on a human level first. Mm-hmm. That's that's gotta be the that's gotta be the most effective way, I would have thought. Yes. I know I surprise people by being prepared to be in the enemy camp. And it's mainly because, as I've said before, I have these little sheep in my life. So I have, whether I like it or not, I need, I rely on, you know, going to farms to pick up perhaps or have delivered hay and straw or feed or, you know, something for these little beings. So, or bringing in a shearer for one of them. So I do end up rubbing shoulders with the farming community and I'm always very open and I'm always very friendly and I'm interested in them and how they live their life and what they do. And they do express surprise if further on down the line they then learn. And it shouldn't be this way, but they have a preconception about what a vegan might be like or how they might be towards them or whatever. And 
and it's a funny, weird, backhanded compliment that they will say to me. Oh, I, you know, I wouldn't have guessed. You know, you seem, and I've had things said to me like, "But you seem really normal." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, and up for a laugh, as if vegans are not normal and not up for a laugh. I am up for a laugh. I'm not up for a laugh at animals' expense. I don't. I don't pretend to agree with them on anything at all, whatsoever. And but you know, for example. When the local agricultural show is on, you know, I am going to be there, but I will be making, well, I will be looking at the sheep classes. There's no doubt about it, but I will be there talking to the people who are growing crops and vegetables. And I've already, again, written to the people who are in other parts of Scotland doing stock-free farming and saying, are you coming to our local, because it's a big show that's on in East Lothian. I want them to be there if they can make it. Mm. So, yeah, do I write to people and invite them to this stuff. I want to get the conversation going. Well, let's leave things there for now. However, for all of you listening right now, do get in touch with your thoughts on what we've covered in this episode and do, of course, send us in your own questions too. We really love reading them. Yes, enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com is our email address. We're also on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Enough of the Falafel. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Paul, Julie and Kate and we are going to be discussing... Why are so many vegans so triggered by vegetarians? Feel free to send in your thoughts ahead of that one, whichever side of things you're coming to it from. Right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you for the questions as well. Yeah. Do please share the show and give us a review if you can find the time. We'll be back on Monday with all the vegan news and commentary in episode 43 of Vegan Week. Until then, I've been Julie. And I've been Anthony. And you've been listening to Vegan Talk from Enough of the Falafel. This show is kindly sponsored by our friends at Fire and Flow Coffee Roasters. And they're such great people. They're offering all enough of the Falafel listeners a cheeky 10% off orders on their online store when using the code FALAFEL10. That's FALAFEL, the number 10. Fire and Flow, a specialty coffee roastery based in the Cotswold with a fully vegan coffee shop on site. Yeah, they're a vegan founded company too. They're run by three friends, Shah, Callum and Phil, and they specialise in roasting and supplying wholesale coffee beans to coffee shops, restaurants, hotels and offices. For the wholesale part of their operations, they work with other businesses to help them get the most out of their coffee offering, with free barista training and full technical support included. The products themselves are the result of their passion for working with skilled and ethical-minded farmers who produce the highest quality beans. 
fire and flow, then roast them to perfection in small batches at their roastery in Sirencester, which you can visit at any time, book onto one of their barista courses or roastery tours via their website, fireandflowcoffee.co.uk. While you're there, you can check out the beautiful Furley Vegan Coffee Shop on site. I've been there myself. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's open seven days a week from nine till three. The last time I went, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was glorious. It's just a fab place to hang out and feel good about life. Give them a follow on Instagram to get the latest at Fire and Flow Coffee. And for those online orders, remember the code exclusively for our brilliant Enough of the Falafel community. That is Falafel10. 10 is 1 and 0. So Falafel10.